Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. I knew what I wanted to say this morning, but I didn't quite have a specific title. When our chapel administrator, Peggy, asked me to submit my title, I quickly, quickly come, I knew I was going to talk about the chapel, uh, but I quickly came up with, okay, chapel turns 51, midlife crisis or the best is yet to come. I added the byline, many churches are in a crisis today. And, but the Aspen Chapel, I believe, is still moving forward. How does the chapel best serve you and others personally, socially, spiritually in the next, the next 50 years? As soon as I sent this off to her, I realized that I may have given myself more of a task than I intended. As far as the church in general going through a crisis, I think that is true and pretty obvious. Some churches are doing quite well, some of the larger churches, in terms of their own different purposes and perspectives. But most mainstream churches, smaller ones, are struggling and doors are closing every year. The chapel will have its 51st anniversary in about a week, officially. Now, I do not know what the official age is for a midlife crisis, but somehow I thought it might be 50 or 51. Maybe for some it's turning 40. I do not think I suffered from a midlife crisis personally when I turned 50 21 years ago, but I had just gone, but when I look back now, I just had gone through a a divorce a couple years before. I moved out of the house I built. I was alone in a small condo. I was just recovering from a personal challenge at the chapel, and I needed eyeglasses for the first time, and I had to buy pants that had an increase in waist size. So I did what any other male would do with facing this situation before them. I bought a sports car. It was a beautiful 1983 pearl-colored 911 SC Porsche. Now, I thought that was going to be cool and help me out of my the midlife crisis that I told myself I'm not having. After only one week of driving the car, I parked downtown in Aspen to do an errand, and when I returned, my car, this light pearl-colored car, there was a bright red lipstick kiss imprint on the roof of my Porsche. There was no phone number or anything, but I thought, this sports car is going to be my ticket. But that was it. I received no other attention because of the car during the next two years that I kept the car. Except I might add that I did take Carolyn Etheridge for a ride in my Porsche a number of times. I think we went up the pass a few times. And that may have been a little bit of a good influence to start our relationship. And more importantly, she still stayed with me after I realized the Porsche's limited benefit and traded in for a used Ford. Now, she stayed with me even though all I had now was a used Ford. She might have even liked me for me without my Porsche. I'm looking at her. What do you think? To have someone love you for who you are, even without a Porsche, 
is just and just afford isn't a most amazing thing. This full love in Greek in the Bible is called agape. It is the fullest and most complete love that anyone can experience. It's the radical love that Jesus taught and was about. It's mostly expressed in the Sermon on the Mount, which Nicholas has currently been talking about, and I think he's going to probably continue. And of course, it is fully expressed in the entire account of Jesus' life. There is philia, philia, or brotherly love, eros, or romantic love, but agape is a complete culmination of all the loves. It is unconditional. And what we all need and seek, I think it is this agape love which will sustain our spirituality and perhaps even the church. If it's if the church, if the church stops being exclusive and dogmatic, I am thinking that those churches might eventually fade, even though that may be wishful thinking on my part. As I mentioned last Sunday, the church of the future needs to be more inclusive, more open, more accepting, more integrated into society, more universal. It is, after all, about agape love, love, luminous love, all-encompassing love. And that may require a new theology and a new understanding of God. I always remember watching the movie by uh, a rabbi here at the Institute called Time for a New God, and it's still very prevalent. And that, that we're having trying to find a new God, but a new understanding of who this God really is that makes sense for our world today. I also mentioned that this pandemic has pointed out, I think, two major qualities of our personal and innate need for socialization. First, we instinctually exist within community. I think that's become even more obvious during this pandemic, how the need to get together and how difficult it is to be isolated. Secondly, this sense of socialization is elevated when it is coupled with a purpose greater than any one individual. Now, these two apparent truths are significant for the church because they're part of the gathering of a church. Ecclesia means gathering. Given these two dynamics, given that that is part of the, who the church is, can the purpose of the church in this 21st century, in the next 50 years of this chapel, find a way to be most relevant in our society today? In one way or another, it seems that it has to be come down to again how we do love one another and how we provide an ultimate meaning in people's modern lives. People are looking for meaning in whole, a lot of different areas in their lives. Is it providing them? Is there a perspective, a kind of a, in our perennial wisdom, there's sort of a divine truth that there's, all of life is sacred. Albert Schweitzer, the reverence for life. If we add that dimension to seeing that everyone has this in part of them, that we're part of this divinity, and we need to revere all of life and all of people. Bishop John Shelby Spong, whose writing has been very influential in my life. And I also might add that when Carol and I are in Lynchburg, Virginia again, where we first heard this song, Walking Air, 
There is a Episcopal church, the St. John's Episcopal church that we sometimes attend because we love the music mostly, and they have a very progressive uh, study group, but the service is relatively traditional. We hang in there with the music uh, and the beautiful choir and beautiful organ and organist. Um, and he was uh, a minister of that church before he became bishop uh, in this country. Anyway, he states, can Bishop Spong states, and he's about 90 years old now, can one worship the ground of being, our understanding of God, ground of being in any other way than by daring to be all that one can be? Can one worship the source of life in any other way than by daring to live fully each day? Can one worship the source of love in any other way than by daring to love wastefully and abundantly? Are there any categories that could be said to be more personal than those calling each of us into being, into living, into loving? Spong continues. He compares this 2,000 years ago, or a lot more than that, 25, 2,600 years ago, when the Jews were carried into exile in Babylon in the early years of the 6th century BCE. They knew they could never sing the Lord's song the same way. Not the songs of Zion. They knew that God could never be worshipped in the future in the same way. They had to learn a new song and, or never sing again. That, I believe, is exactly the fate of the modern Christian church. I believe the new song is developing, he says, and I want to be part of the generation that will sing it. The replacement of this archaic, theistic God way out there of the past with the inescapable God who is the ground of our being, in my opinion, he says, the prerequisite to sounding forth the mighty chorus of the future. There is no God external to life. God, rather, is the inescapable depth and center of all that is. God is the ground of being itself. Now, these words which I just quoted are from a great and provocative book, provocative book by Bishop Spong entitled, Why Christianity Must Change or Die. It is a provocative title, but I believe to be true. I would even go further and suggest that Christianity, as we traditionally know it today, must even be uh, dissolved in some sense and be replaced by a whole new universal spirituality. I'm a strong advocate of the life teaching Exemplary, exemplary life of Jesus. I want to follow. But in terms of what the term Christianity has become, I sometimes want to hide. Can Christianity redeem itself? Perhaps. The Christian church has accomplished many great things in the past, but unfortunately it is also hindered many good things. The actual life and teachings of Jesus have too often been suppressed with dogma and orthodoxy. 300 years after the life of Jesus, the church was customized more by Roman authority than the primary teachings of Jesus. But today we are learning a lot more about the earlier gospels and historical Jesus. Our bust of Albert Schweitzer here, and he came to the United States to speak in Aspen. Now, the bust is in the park here. He wrote a book 
the quest for the historical Jesus. We need to keep following that. Now, after spending just about all of my 71 years of life, I say that because I was baptized in a baby as a church and trying to figure out this Jesus and Christianity all my life. I'm concluding that we do need a much better understanding of the past in order to understand the direction of our future. We need to correct the mistakes of the past organized and orthodox church. I think the future of the church is most dependent on a new theology or spirituality that is emerging now, more realistic. My task is to make religion real, one that makes sense for today. Now, I believe that this Aspen Chapel has long been on this path ever since its beginning. It was 52 years ago that the founders wrote, to this place gather in lively encounter leaders of religious thought to redefine spiritual values, to question, to seek relevant answers in a troubled world. Here create a national, global, ecumenical center for seminars and dialogues on theological concerns of contemporary society. Wonderful words. Bishop Spong writes, My contention is once the holy has been redefined in non-theistic terms, a revolution in the meaning of worship will be inevitable. Worship to me is not a peripheral activity. It is rather central to the meaning of our humanity, humanity, he writes. To be human is to see ourselves self-consciously in terms of what is ultimately real. Worship is the name of the way we practice that self-definition. So worship may well have to be defined anew in every age, but worship must always be an aspect of our humanity, gathering together as people. Since worship must be located somewhere, then hopefully something like a church as a center of place of worship may always be part of that future. This birth will be a sign that the infinite can be known within the finite. The eternal can be met in the transitory. The divine and human cannot be separated. The emphasis of corporate worship will surely shift dramatically as the theistic patterns of yesterday continue to decline in a non-theistic way of approaching the holy. The holy that's all around us begins to beckon us in our worship day to day. But worship, he thinks, will endure. For it is through worship that we begin to glimpse of who we really are and who we are with one another. It is an intensely human activity. Now, three years after his book entitled Why Christianity Must Change or Die, Bishop Spong also wrote another follow-up book entitled A New Christianity for a New World. His first chapter is A Place to Begin. The old is no more. The new is not yet to come. His last chapter is The Ecclesia or Church of Tomorrow. The good news is that he believes that a new spiritual gathering of people will exist tomorrow. It may not be as obvious right now because we are just beginning. 
It will be a renewed dedication to the search for truth, a center of caring for people to grow into a new being, a new consciousness, a greater equality, a support for the changes of life and led by mutual servant-style leadership. Authority will exist among the people. Father God and Mother Church will be no more, but human beings will always worship, seek the holy together in community, and gather as a family might to remember who they are, to recall their origins, and to seek help in becoming all that they can be. It will be the doing of these things that the church of the future will be born. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. The Aspen Chapel, I believe, has had a little head start with Bishop Yost's forward vision 52 years ago. Remember, it took a while for Jesus' teachings to take hold. And keep in mind that Reverend E.M. Yost had to break away from the strict and exclusive teachings of the church which he grew up in to create a broader and better and bigger theology, which culminated in this chapel. We are in good company in doing this. And I think it's really important to know, because I want to be impatient. I want all this to happen now. But it took a while in the past. It took Martin Luther a long time for the Reformation to take hold. So we're part of it. We're going in that direction. We've made progress with our progressive theology. Our latest purpose statement, and we can be looking at another one and uh, tweaking that a little bit for the next 50 years. The one that we've most recently endorsed by both boards is the mission of the Aspen Chapel is to promote open and progressive theology, spiritual enrichment, peace through interfaith engagement. I believe Nicholas is adding to the chapel's vision and mission along with so many others. I think it is our philosophical purpose which will continue to propel this chapel into the next 50 years. It may take a while for this message to sink in, but as Spong has stated, we are just beginning with this new and improved theology. After all, Jesus took some time to evolve. Our last Reformation took a century or two to fully be realized and implemented. So I'm excited to see where where we will be in the year 2069. I hope to be here, but probably not. The the first 50 years, I can tell you, went by very quickly. Tomorrow, tomorrow, it's going to be 2069. And I'm sure that the best is yet to come. And now, we take a moment for music and the offertory. There is a donate button on there. And as our chairman of our a co-chair of our board of trustees here, and another fantastic person, Tom Ward, said in a meeting just a few days ago, well, when you're speaking there, and it's about the 51st, do ask the people in order, we've been here for 51, we've survived, we're doing well, but we want to be here for 52, please help us out. Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org.
Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.